Dave, Dave, before we introduce to this glorious, glorious guest, where are you right now? I'll tell you, I'm in an office. I'm in a Hollywood office. Oh. I am working on, I'm not sure I can talk about it. So we'll, we'll, t- oh. we'll take either one of these. Either A, I'm working on a documentary about gay people in stand-up comedy uh, around the, the big Netflix thing that is happening at the Greek in a couple of weeks. Okay. Or none of your business where I am. We'll take one of those. I'm not exactly sure whether I'm at liberty to talk about the documentary. Anyway, I am literally just like squatting in someone's office right now. They could come in at any minute. We are getting this on the fly. It's underground. It's exactly what queer life should be, frankly. Where are you, Matt? Well, you're in your house. I'm at home. Yeah. Okay. Normal background. I mean, who's here? Who is here? Tell them. Uh, look, you you mentioned gay stand-up. Yes. Which is the perfect segue. Uh, there, a legend is amongst us. Johnny McGovern needs no introduction. Mm. Truly, truly the OG of queer podcasting as well, which we're going to talk about. Also the creator and host of Go Go for the Gold, which is described as Drag Race for Go Go Boys, which the fact that this hasn't been a show yet, I mean, thank God it's finally here. An idea whose time has come. You know, it took him to create it. Johnny McGovern, welcome. Yes, yes. Finally, you're here. I'm here. Uh, first of all, I am a weekly listener to homophilia. Dave, we can fly to London. Oh, we can party good. at Ducky. That's the kind of good. listener I am of this show. So Ooh. I'm happy to be with you, fellas. Oh, I love it. And yes, <laughs> how has that not happened yet? Thank you. I'm delighted. Let's do it. Oh, we're how so are you? Where are you? I'm here in the woods of my home. As you You're can see from the jungle. Yes. I've created, I've turned my apartment in West Hollywood into an, a, an illusion of a gay forest. Wow. So it's like a, I'm a gay lumberjack type and without any wood or any ax. So <laughs> I have the woods and I have the, the wood panels and the plaid. It's all I'm living. You're I'm living my forest fantasy. Life. We love it. We support it. <laughs> Thanks, so, Dave. of course, you know, the, the question, if you're a weekly listener, you know what's coming. It's been a long couple of years. We've been largely sentenced to our own homes. What have you been binging? What have you been watching, listening to, reading? I am always grateful when Top Chef is back. And Top Chef is back. I'm a huge Top Chef person. I love watching it. I love looking at the food. I'm also in the food variety right now. I'm watching the new Julia Child show on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. How is that? And I'm enjoying that. It's very good. It's a delightful show. It's very soothing. It's very soft. A few moments of fast forwarding. I don't always need to know the internal struggles of Paul and Julia. But when they do the scenes about Julia on camera and all of the stuff that she made happen and that she invented that became cooking television, that is Chef's Kiss, a delight. And how does her Julia stack up next to Meryl Streep's Julia? More realistic. More realistic. Like, this woman is giving a much more... She seems a lot like what Julia was like. So I'm liking that. Mm-hmm. That inspired me to watch the new Discovery Plus show, The Julia Child Challenge. Oh. In which they're giving you... It's seven home cooks competing to just in a great British baking show style. So we're not talking drama. We're not talking anything. It's all just like 
home cooks paying tribute to Julia and competing in a soft and gentle competition where Julia makes appearances on screen and you, they show clips of her. So that that's very good. Obviously, apparently I'm hungry, Dave, because all I'm watching is food, television. I've been watching tons of reality shows because the last six months I spent editing, directing, producing, hosting, go, go for the gold. So I just was on a full diet of reality shows to study it even deeper and figure out how to make this show pop. Right on. And what's your current relationship with the drag race universe? Are you, are you, are you watching? Are you current? Oh, of course. I mean, I, with Hey Queen, of course, I was very deep in the drag matrix. I've had some time off from that, but I still love, I still love drag race. I watched them all though. It was hard for me to get into some of the, the, international versions when it was too much talking and too much reading but i did love amsterdam i got into espana i couldn't get through italia but i'm all the way can't wait for all stars love it same um johnny what did you grow up obsessed with like what were the shows that you were uh you know never missing who were the icons well Matt, I grew up overseas when I was eight. I moved to Thailand and I lived there until I was 13. And then I moved to Egypt. And so that was in the late 80s that that happened. So we're middle 80s, late 80s. So there was no television to be had in those countries. But I was, as a young homosexual, was not going to be denied. And my grandmother would tape for me all the sitcoms that I marked down in the TV guide and she would tape them on VHS tapes that were like eight hours long and she would twice a year send me a huge box of Golden Girls, 227, Amen, Facts of Life. That's love. All all of it. I mean, uh, every every show with an old lady star, you know I was there, okay? If it was an old diva making a comeback, I was there. My wall in my room was a big clue that I was gay. There was many clues. The gigantic poster of the Golden Girls autographed to me by myself from the Golden <laughs> Girls. Wow. Uh, pictures of Marla Gibbs, 227. I was a, a huge Jack A stan. I was into all the TV divas. The Golden Girls, I must have watched millions and millions and millions of times. So I would watch those tapes over and over and over again. So obviously, I became the gay that I am today, the television and old lady obsessed gay. Iconic jungle gay. What can I say? I love it. (laughs) Before we talk about Go-Go for the Gold, can tell us like the status of all of your other projects? Because it seems like, I mean, this thing has obviously been your main focus, but historically you have always had a million jobs and worn a million hats. Yeah. I mean, Hey Queen is definitely, it's just been sort of on hiatus. Obviously after Lady Red passed, that was kind of a difficult transition. You know, we had to contractually do like 26 episodes, like just a couple months after she passed on, if we wanted, you know, to fulfill the network order. So that was a real push. I had two of my best friends come in to be my emotional support orchestra for that season. 
So we made it through that. But to be honest, like after all of that, I needed something a little fresh. I still love drag. I love all, I love drag race. I love talking to the queens, but it's also a much more saturated marketplace right now. Like when we started Hate Queen in 2014, like we were the place to go for the queens where they could come to a real talk show format and it would be the only chance they really had to tell their story if it was different from what was portrayed on the show, we had so many legendary episodes now, you know, after the show, like the Queens are on the phone with entertainment weekly, mm. literally the, the minute the show is over. So it's a little less exciting to be one of a zillion that they're talking to. So Hey Queen will definitely come back probably a specials sometime in the next year where I can sort of make it a, a big fun event and not just trying to like crank out episodes. And of course, I'm still podcasting. I'm podcasting now exclusively on patreon.com slash gayest of all time. And I'm still with all the same crew from Gay Pimpin and uh, Gayest of All Time and doing an assorted variety of shows. I mean, that's the audience that's been with me for the longest and is the most dedicated. So no matter what I'm doing, I always like to keep giving them that content. And uh, I'm also on tour. Uh, I'm just tomorrow, I leave for Amsterdam. And I'm uh, rejoining Dita Von T's Glaminatrix mm. tour, which I'm the MC of. And honey, wow. that is the gig. Oh, <laughs> that God. is the gig. I mean, we are like we start in Amsterdam, then we go to Prague, then we go to Lisbon, oh then God. we go to Milan, then we go to Frankfurt, then we go to Berlin, then you go to Paris to play at the Follies Berger, honey. Oh I mean, God. the glamour of this tour is really something else. Plus, Dita is very big on the style and the aesthetics from the top to the bottom. So not only does the show look stunning, but I have, I was gifted by her a pair of custom black glitter Louboutins, huh. as, which I wear in every show, that were measured for me at the Louboutin Atelier, sweetie. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. my God. So that is, I mean, that is like got to be my favorite gig because I do not have to be the boss. I do not have to make any decisions. I just have to show up, yeah. put on the tux and the Louboutins, have fun on stage. The crowds are wild. The show is gorgeous. I love doing that. So, oh, but luckily wow. I can put my laptop in and work on all the other projects and record podcasts and do stuff for GoGo for the Gold while I'm living the luxurious life, the luxury hotel life in europe a trip i could never afford oh. on my own and what wow. what is the actual show i mean i follow your these travails on instagram it, it always looks amazing but what are you actually getting when you're in the audience for that show dita does you know she has so many iconic numbers that she's built the most famous being her in the martini glass where she will so you'll get four huge production numbers starring Dita and her dancers. She, in this show in particular, she, this on the stage is a giant, bejeweled, Louis XIV style cake that oh she God. comes out of the top of. And then, of course, she's wearing the pieces like Mr. Pearl corsets and just garters and layers of things that have all been hand-stoned in Swarovski crystals. The handsome men are there with her. She does her number where she comes out. Each one is themed a different way, and she strips down in that classic burlesque fashion. Inside the cake is another hand covered in Swarovski crystals, just handing her different props. 
Later in the show, she rides a gigantic lipstick in a fetish-themed mm. number, like it was an electric bull while glitter rains from the sky, and there's pyrotechnics. I mean, the show is gorgeous. Plus, she has a lineup of incredible burlesque talent, Dirty Martini, Jet Adore, who each do a number throughout the show. And then, uh, yeah, I'm the host. Get to hype them up, have fun, sing songs. Um, I, it was amazing to be on tour this last time I was with her because while I was on tour, suddenly Dave became a young, youthful pop star. I'm not sure if you're aware, but I am a young pop star with 8 million streams on Spotify. A song Ooh. of mine from 2012 went viral on TikTok, which then led to it going viral on Spotify. And I was able to like perform that song on stage at Dita. So it was like being like a huge rock concert. I was like, I'm a young, youthful pop star. Get into the glamour. Wait, which song? The song is called Man Areas. Oh, of course. And it's a song about gay guys doing dirty gay stuff at a dirty gay bar. But Uh TikTok, when you know, when they service those songs to TikTok, they usually just service a short piece of it. And the piece that was serviced to TikTok was the opening seven seconds, which goes, this goes to the strippers and the fucking porn stars and the sexy motherfuckers showing shit on the bar. Now, straight girls of Twitter loved that. Everyone everyone of TikTok loved the strippers and porn stars. So it started with sexy ladies dancing to that song. And I was like, they do not know what the rest (laughs) of the lyrics of that song are. But then, of course, then it just kept blowing up. Yeah, like it was the greatest gift to have a song from the catalog suddenly, 10 years later, be a fresh new hit. And what can I say? I'm a young, I'm a youthful pop star. TikTok sensation. Hold on, Doja Cat's calling. Doja, I can't talk. Okay, bye. (laughs) You are a youthful pop star. What can I say? Are you a TikTok user? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I I got into it. When you're a gay comedian, you got to just... Keep switching it up. So, I yeah, I started last year kind of like uh, just getting into it. And, like, of course, you can watch TikTok and just scroll for the hot men, really. And you can really enjoy all the dick prints and all of the cum gutters and all of the muscles and all of the cute and beautiful faces. And, that, and then you keep teaching the algorithm. That's what you like. So, yeah, I've done a lot of TikToks, mostly duetting <laughs> <laughs> sexy tiktokers and making fun of all that kind of stuff yes those i see on your instagram and they're very enjoyable i love to keep it fresh i actually really enjoy tiktok and i'm a big scroller dave i mean i will scroll like then until one of those videos comes up that says have you been scrolling too long and i'll be like fuck off one of the things i always enjoy in your podcast is your love of luxury products in the skincare realm. Uh-huh. Love to hear what's in the regimen at the moment. Yes, I am a big skincare fan. I started using La Mer oh, many, wow. many, many years ago when I was living the hardcore lifestyle in New York City as a party promoter, throwing parties with late nights and drugs and drinking, all things I no longer do, but which I enjoyed quite a bit at the time. And I knew if I didn't take care of my skin in that period that I should do it and do it with the best. Do it with the the skincare that has an illusion that I'm fabulous with taking 
taking into my mind and believing is true. So I started using the creme de la mer in 2005 or something like that. I've been very loyal to the brand. And then I've had recently had friends in the beauty, in beauty be able to gift me some even more of it. So I'm really, my bathroom, the desire was to look like a La Mer commercial and it does. It does now. We're giving you a two, we're giving you a multi-step process only once a day. We're doing a cleansing foam. Okay. Then we're doing some, the treatment lotion, Matt. You got to start off with the treatment lotion, which will get the, your skin prepared to accept all the other ingredients. Then we're going to hit it with the concentrate or an assorted other serum or, you know, AHA or any, any of those other things you want to put on to really seep in. And then we're going to hit it with the creme de la mer, but preferably in a pump. Matt, remember, you never want to use skincare that is in, in a, a jar, jar right because it is trash. Because, Dave, every time you open up the jar, not only are you dipping your grubby fingers in there, but the air is hitting it and making all of the ingredients that are so expensive nothing. So, like, and, and La Mer is something I enjoy, but let's be honest, the, the fantasy is a little bit of a fantasy. They sell a gigantic $2,500 tub of La Mer. But if you got that, it would take you three years to use it. And by the time you even got through a third of it, the shit would just be Vaseline. All of the magical ingredients that supposedly are there every time the air hits it is going down. So you always want to get something in a pump. Wow. That's just my, that's a skincare moment for your uh, homophilia listeners. Very important moment. The hottest of tips. I wanted to ask you about your, your nightlife days when you were you know a true fixture in downtown new york can you just like paint that picture for us a little more like what were you up to what did a typical night look like Mm. well i fell into nightlife in new york city because i was performing as the gay pimp that character it was before i had made a music video for it but when i was performing around town as the gay pimp so i was wearing like rhinestone jeans sunglasses gay pimp i traveled with drag queen cheerleaders and go-go boys and did shows like i thought i was at the vmas like i was Brittany and justin with uh, at like the cock or the hole on tiny cardboard box stages i i did a gig at a club called cbgb's the legendary rock club cbgb's which was a night thrown by Dean Johnson, the legendary uh, singer of the Velvet Mafia, who ran a, cl- a, n- a night there called Homocore, which was all gay acts at CBGB's. I came, did that show. It was a big smash. Lots of people showed up. And Dean Johnson asked me if I wanted to throw a party with him. I had no idea about partying, what, how you promoted a party, what it was. But we threw a party at a bar classically called The Hole called triple x with go-go boys back room open bar it was wild it was right after 9 11 there was a line around the block the party was a huge smash and i fell into a many years long side career as a nightlife promoter we started to get asked to do the same type of dirty gay party that we were doing like at the hole at huge gigantic 
fancy restaurants. There was this restaurant called The Park on 10th Avenue, which was like a three-floor luxury dining room, cocktail lounge, garden, roof deck with a hot tub. And the owners were like, we want you to do exactly what you're doing at the hold and do it at this big, fancy party. And so the opening night was like, Alexander McQueen asked me for Coke in the bathroom, or Dolce & Gabbana in the, in the back room. I mean, like, it was everything. So that era was quite wild. I would do my creative stuff during the day, work on music, work on music videos. The whole gay pimp thing kind of exploded during that time. And then at night, I would hit the club, mostly smoking a lot of cigarettes, standing at the door, counting the money, getting drunk, tipping go-go boys way too much. I'd be like, you did a great job tonight. Here's an extra $100. I really gave away a lot more money in that era to all the people that were working with me because you would get a huge pile of cash. And I'd be like, it's enough to share. I could have bought a house, Matt. I could have bought a house. But it was a wild time. Honestly, I made some of the, the friends of mine who I, you know, I showcased on the Gay Pimpin' podcast where we really talked about all of our nightlife adventures as they were happening. They're all still my closest friends and creative collaborators. So it was that time where we were all working together and hiring together and you know, when I would be bored at the party, I would do photo shoots or imagine, you know, different projects. In fact, some of the first records I did for someone that wasn't me were records I did for an, a CD called the, or a CD, for an album called the uh, East Village Mixtape Volume 1, where I would find all my favorite nightlife stars and be like, hey, would you like to record a single? And we did songs tailored to each sort of person for this project i did actually the first song peppermint ever recorded was with me for that project princess extravaganza the legendary drag queen sweetie did a song with me all of you know my crew erica tour linda james so i use nightlife in new york not only to make money and have fun but i found it extremely inspirational creatively because I was really inspired by all the things that were around me. And all the elements from nightlife is kind of, you can see it in how I created Hey Queen. So, I mean, something I love to do is obviously take a straight people's format and flip it and make it gay. I did that with soccer practice. I did that with Hey Queen. And the elements that we have in Hey Queen, like where the guest gets a trophy at the end, that's kind of a nod to the ballroom scene, because that was very much part of that world. And then the each each guest would get a lap dance at the end. That's kind of a nod to the go-go boys. So that whole nightlife experience in New York, which, you know, was very wild, has creatively fed me and sort of given me inspiration for, for many years. But it was a wild time. When it was over, it was over. Mm. Yeah, you were podcasting so much earlier than any of us. And there were literally no queer podcasts uh, other than yours for many years. What was, do you remember the very first episode you put out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was right after soccer practice became sort of out of the blue, a huge international hit. I mean, it was added to like MTV Europe, MTV Asia. I was touring with it. And someone kind of kooky had asked me to do a podcast, like, you know, a producer type. I didn't know what a podcast was. I had no clue <laughs> what it was. I knew it was kind of like a radio show. That person ended up dipping out, kind of being a little too kooky. 
But luckily, my co- main collaborator at that time was uh, a guy named Martin, who was a straight nerd. It's always great to have a straight nerd in your back pocket. And he was like, we should still do this. You should still do the podcast. The first episode, I mean, it was just, it was me, Linda James, who was my one of my drag queen besties at that time, and Martin and Erica Tor. The episode that, episode number two was the most notable. It was an episode called How to Fuck a Straight Guy. And that was, I think, what really kicked up this show and got people to to notice it because you know i was dealing with a lot of drag queens who spent a lot of their time fucking straight guys so we had a, a deep and frank discussion about it and we would go in, the, in those days just like i do today we talk about pop culture we go into the tabloids it was right during the britney spears original meltdown so of course we were riveted in every single way um, we did a lot of things. We did, you know, all the elements of my personality that mostly had stayed in my room for many years. My love of the Golden Girls, my love for uh, soul black divas. I mean, that that was all celebrated on Gay Pimpin'. And we were, you know, we were all working together in nightlife and telling the most frank and uh, revealing stories on that show. And it really has that that podcast was like the is the audience that started with me there is still with me now, and I really appreciate them and love it. I love that. I love that. You, you know, you said that nightlife was great until it wasn't. Do you remember the moment when you you were like, "Yeah, this is over." You know, it's like I was in New York and I was still throwing a lot of parties, but to be honest, like bars would shut down, so you'd be one week making, you know two or three thousand dollars a week and then suddenly the bar would be shut down or the club would be shut i was like notoriously mr black i was part of the original mr black and there was a night where the police raided mr black and everyone had to stand on the side and all of the staff went to jail and mr black was no more that night so you'd go from i'm rich to oh my god how am i gonna pay the rent and then trying to navigate the bottle service culture that was kind of coming up in the late 2000s where things were meant to be very expensive and paying a lot of cover charges and that wasn't really my vibe my vibe was always kind of like the dive bar feeling even if we were in a big fancy club it was a lot about open bar lots of go-go boys all that kind of stuff so when i when that kind of happened and it was like you had to once again reinvent every time try to find a new space it just wasn't fun anymore and like i was you know you you get to a point where you're like having like eight vodka sodas just because you're bored and that's not really something that was exciting for me to continue and at that same time is when i got the big gay sketch show on logo r.i.p and that was sort of the impetus to just fully dip out. And I've dipped back in every once in a while. When I moved here to LA, I missed having go-go boys around. So Greg McKeon, who actually created go-go for the gold with me and I threw a party here in LA at Bar for a couple of years, but that was just like a one night a week for fun type of thing. It wasn't like I was working when I was in New York, I was throwing like two or three parties a week, which and partying. And so that is, something to make you age quite quickly. 
so yeah, I mean that it was really amazing and fun while it was while it was happening. But when it was when it was done and when it wasn't fun anymore, that was the time to move on. And that's when I moved here to LA. So go go for the gold. How did it come to be? Go go for the gold was a show that we actually tried. We created uh, Greg and I created it in 2010 when we were throwing one of those parties at Bar because the party was extremely go-go centric and the guys that we were working with were such superstars. I mean, each had their own personality, each had their own style, each had just so much charisma. And of course, go-go boys have been part of my parties, uh, for my entire, you know, adult party throwing time. They were always the star of the party to me. Uh, right up with drag queens. I mean, there's drag queens and go-go boys. They're the two sort of stars of our gay nightlife scene. And so we thought, wouldn't it be fun? And this was like the early years of drag race. It wasn't like when drag race was a monolith, but we thought it would be fun. We were thinking more originally like a top model type thing where they would all live in a house and they would compete. And we had a couple, we had over the years, one or two people interested, but they could never really afford to do it correctly. And then, so I really put it in a drawer and didn't think about it for many years. And then after working with Out TV on Hey Queen and the numerous other shows I've produced and created for them, I told them about the Go-Go for the Gold show and they were really into it. And so it was time to bring it back and we kind of just gave it a, a makeover, a polish, sort of updated it and uh, started casting it was wild. I mean, it was the perfect moment. I'm, I also am surprised that no one has showcased the talent and the charisma and the beauty of uh, the Go-Go Boys. And we really do that in a, in a fun way. I mean, the Go-Go Boys are, are all extremely diverse. I mean, we're giving you all different ethnicities, obviously, all different body types different gender expressions. We have a trans man in the cast. Um, and these are, guys, are all guys who are working in nightlife. Some of them know each other. So you're getting a little bit of early drag race vibes where, you know, all the girls kind of knew each other from West Hollywood and that led to more drama and excitement. And the, so they're competing, you know, for $10,000 and for the title of America's number wow. one champion, hey. Go Go Superstar. So the show obviously has a bit of a wink to it. Uh, you know, when when they get eliminated, the thing that I say to them is, pack your junk, put it in your trunk. Don't go-go. Just go. Ice cold. Ice cold. So, so I'm giving you all the Tyra, RuPaul yeah, yeah. type of greatest hits that where it's very earnest. But the whole feeling of it is extremely fun. And they compete in challenges that are type of challenges that you might face as a go-go boy in different club situations, whether it's dancing on a tiny box or having to perform a burlesque number or, you know, there's uh, or being a spokesmodel for an underwear brand and having to do media interviews or make a commercial so there's a, a huge or performing in front of different types of audiences with hilarious results. But the, the real thing that made it pop was the cast was incredible. These guys came to, you know, it was like 
a floodgate opened up. All these go-go boys with so much talent and so much charisma who've been seeing the drag race girls killing it so hard for so many years. Everybody wants a piece of that. So this was like the go-go boys moment to have their time to shine. And they were very competitive and really brought the looks. They brought the drama uh, and they brought the heart. I mean, after the entire week of the, of, we did it all in a week. I mean, we shot the whole thing in seven days, but it was a very intense time. And like, they put so much into it that I knew that I, that, that we had something special here. And, you know, to be honest, we had our original editor had to drop out for family emergency and we were on heavy deadlines. And Matt, I took the whole project on myself and created it from soup to nuts. I mean, I edited it. I oh, scored shit. it. I did the graphics. I did. I did it all. I sat in the studio for six months and learned and created how to make this reality show. But luckily, I've watched a lot of reality TV for very many years, and yeah. I have a lot of practice editing because I edited Hate Queen for for the entire time it was on. Oh, you've been training for this. Yeah, I was training. It was like an Olympic event. I mean, get meeting the deadlines and getting these episodes together was wild. But uh, the guys are hilarious, and I've watched enough reality TV to 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 make it happen. The show turned out incredible. I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm so excited to watch it. And, you know, if we have any young listeners out there who aspire to be a go-go boy, what what are your words of wisdom? What makes a good go-go boy? I think you just have to be confident. You have to be confident. You have to have your – you don't have to look a certain way. I mean, I think that's the beauty of our show and also of the, you know, the body positive moment that we're in right now is that there are go-go boys of all different types. We have a go-go boy that's who's – skinny and wears heels we have a big sort of heavy set uh bear go-go boy we have you know all all different types so you got to have confidence you got to know what your thing is like you got to be able to give something i mean of course you can be a go-go boy by just having a good body and two-stepping on stage which is something the go-go boys in this show mock each other for you don't ever want to be called a two-stepper in this world but, I mean, the best go-go boys really have charisma. They have style. They want to make the customer feel special. And they're having fun. That's really the thing. They're, they're the party's cheerleaders. They're making all the people talking to them feel special, at least the good ones. I mean, the ones who are good are very, very good. I mean, that's the exciting thing about this show is that the amount of talent that's still untapped out there is huge. There's so many uh, go-go superstars out there ready to be crowned we met i I wonder if you've ever crossed paths with him but in in palm springs a go-go gentleman who uh was a a shorter king i'd say no younger than 65 and he was wearing a football what does what do you call the the thing that you put over your jersey not the jersey but the 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 like the the armor oh the pads the pads yes thank you um, and my friends fully chatted him up and got his life story. And he like has a full career. I think maybe owns a gallery in Palm Springs. He's literally just doing this on the side for fun because he loves to dance. He loves to be looked at and he makes a ton of money on the side and he's really living his best life. So it's not just a young yeah, man's yeah. game. No, I mean, uh, the, the, there's a quite an age variety in the guys that we have. I mean, and yeah, a lot of them are have 
we added someone who's an accountant, someone and not an accountant like an OnlyFans performer, and uh, they had like a, you know an accountant, someone who's a park ranger who all do go go on the side and enjoy it and love love performing in that format for people, and they love to bring the looks. I mean, the the looks that we got in this were pretty wild. And so, and people should find it on Apple TV if they're in the U.S. Right. No, it's uh well, you can find it on outtv.com. It airs on cable on outtv in Canada. In the UK, you can find it on Fruit TV. Here, you can find it on outtv.com or through the outtv app, which is available through Apple TV. Got it, got it, got it. Before we let you go, what's happening in the dating realm for you? Oh, I am. I'm actually just coming out of a long relationship. I've been in a relationship for five years. And I am relatively newly single. It, where it's sort of a slower, uh, you know, it's not a bad breakup. It's a someone I still really care about. So I'm not cutting him out of my life and starting fresh. But we, yeah, we've broken up. And so I'm, yeah, I'm single, ready to mingle. Okay. It's perfect time to go on tour, Matt. Absolutely. I mean, hose in different area codes, as it were. I mean, there's nothing like that tour, those tour young gentlemen to to make love to in fancy hotels. I mean, it's fantastic. Oh, man. What a life. Johnny McGovern, you're a living legend, and we adore you, and this was uh, a long time coming. We we thank you just for being you, because the fact that we're even doing this podcast, we are standing on your shoulders. Well, there's nothing like being 10 years early to everything, Matt. That's really (laughs) something I've done. Very, very well. <laughs> 10 years early to podcasting. That's Some right. Strategy. 10 years early to interviewing drag queens. Correct. Ten, I was 10 years early to music videos that were gay. Yeah. Everyone's made much more money than me, but I was there first. But so the, and, and, why don't just everyone join my Patreon to pay tribute to all the things I did first that I did not get rich on. <laughs> yeah. And what is the Patreon? Patreon.com slash of all time we will find you over there because uh, we all owe you frankly um oh finally finally i'm being treated with the respect i deserve dave oh my god the respect the respect and the uh and the monthly stipend that you deserve i mean dave never forget i went out for the who wants to be a vj for the boston audition and failed miserably, and then I watched on TV jealously as you took it to the top. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Boston? When was Boston? I went to BU. When I came back from uh, from Egypt after high school, I went to Boston, went to the acting program at, at BU. So I spent uh-huh. just so much money on learning how to breathe and all the rest that you do at acting school. That was a huge waste of money. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What year did you try out? I think it was the year that you did it. I, 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 it must have been somewhere between 93 and 97 because that's when I was in college. So whatever. It was It was 98, 99, and 2000. Were the so it must have been 98, I guess. Well, whatever it was, Dave, it was a huge, colossal failure on my part. I did not know who I was. I did not know what, how to do anything. Oh, man. Well, you figured yeah, it out. Well, I did. Yeah. I didn't get that job, but I got many other ones, mostly ones I created for myself. But what are you going to do when you insist on putting gay in the title of everything you do? It's going to be difficult. There you go. You're going to do that is what you're going to do. Yeah. 
but you've done it. You've done it, and you're going to keep doing Thank it. Thank you, legend. Thank you. Well, both of you, I appreciate it. It's so delightful to get to chat with you. Thank you for having me on Homophilia. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music by my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. 